0: perhaps you've had this thought before, if only I could have seen Jesus walking on the earth, you know, I was born the wrong time. If I could have been with Him, then I think I would have believed. If only I could have heard His teaching with my own ears or seen His miracles. I mean, they're incredible, right? With my own eyes, I think I would have believed. Or maybe you've had this thought, um, my faith would, would would maybe be stronger. We, we talked about this recently. If I could have seen it, if I could have heard it, I would have I think I would have believed, but we have been discovering that that is not necessarily true. Yes, what Jesus said and what He did, He did to prove that He was the Christ, the Son of God, but even seeing many, in fact, most did not believe. Last week, we saw those who should accept Him, didn't. Namely, the the religious people, the guys who, you know, they they read the Bible. They supposedly knew the Bible. They were the experts in the law. They they should have been ready when He came fulfilling all of those Old Testament promises. They should have been ready to welcome the Son of God when He came teaching with authority and performing those undeniable miracles, healing everybody of every imaginable disease, casting out demons. Their response should have been one of, of wonder awe and maybe even praise but instead their response was one of denial and not just denial but rejection and not just rejection but but hostility their opposition reached a climax, a bit of a climax last week. N- no, they said, we can't deny your miracles. I mean, the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are, are hearing, the, the dead are breathing, demon-possessed are freed. But what you do, you do by the, by the power of Satan. They'd heard it all. They'd seen it all. And yet they refused to believe. They had come to a settled rejection of truth. And we found rather somberly that in doing so, they had committed the unforgivable or the unpardonable sin. And so we've been seeing, uh, finding that seeing is not necessarily believing. In fact, there will always be those who oppose the truth of Christ Those who, despite the overwhelming evidence, refuse to believe. But what do you do when you believe, and and those around you who should believe don't? In fact, those around you oppose you for believing. Let's say for example, that you decide to get serious about your faith. You become convinced that Jesus really is worthy of of worship. He really is worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your service. In fact, He is worthy of your very life. And you decide to get serious. And and those around you who should be glad, that they should be with you. They aren't. The, the religious around you, you know, those who profess to be Christians, that go to church, they occasionally even do Christian stuff. But, but, but you get serious, and they say to you, come on, calm down. Don't get carried away. Don't get radical. Don't start doing what those crazy fundamentalist Christians do. I mean, they start talking to everybody about Jesus. That's just embarrassing. And for sure, don't become intolerant like some of those overbearing people who think Christianity is the only true religion. They're so judgmental and so intolerant. Don't don't do that. What do you do? When the religious religious around you start opposing you because you really believe that Jesus is the real deal. Further. What do you do when that opposition comes from your own family? (laughs) There there, there you go. You've gone off to college, right, to, to get an education, and you've gone off the deep end. What do you mean you want to go on a mission trip? Isn't that part of the world dangerous? What do you mean you want to change your major so that you can go into ministry? That's not what we've paid for. What do you mean that you're not going to do the things that we do together as a family? That sounds a little judgmental. What do you do in your family, your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters? I think you've lost your mind (laughs) that you've just gone too far with this Christianity thing. I'm I'm all right with those Christian clubs on, on campus, but come on, you can't give up everything for Jesus, can you? What do you do when those who you wish would accept your faith and, in fact, join you in your commitment instead oppose you? What if it gets worse than that? What if they disown you because of your commitment? You you do understand that that happens all around the world today. They want you to deny your faith, to come back to our faith, or or we'll disinherit you, or we'll cut off your head. Becoming a follower of Jesus in some parts of the world will get you an honor killing. And you do understand that opposition to our faith, to Christianity, is rising even here. It's becoming a bit less popular to be a Christian. What do you do then? This kind of rejection because of faith in Jesus happens all, over, all around the world, all of the time. Which, as I've thought about it, is kind of interesting in and of itself. I mean, why? Why did those scribes make that that trek from from Jerusalem all the way up to Galilee last week? Well, why do different religions, why do non-believing family members have to be so vigorously and, and violently opposed to our faith? Can't they just... Let us believe and leave us alone? I can't. Because light always exposes darkness, and darkness always opposes light. They oppose Jesus. (laughs) He was the light of the world. And they will oppose us as well. Last week, we saw Mark use the first of what I called, what scholars call his sandwich method, where he, where he starts a story, interrupts it to tell a, another story re, with a related theme, and, and then he goes back to finish the first story. Well, last week, we looked at the kind of the meat of that sandwich, if you will, being the opposition to Jesus from this official delegation of scribes who, who, who made their way all the way from Jerusalem. And they didn't come to check him out to see if he might actually be the Christ. Why would you do that? No, they came to oppose him. In the midst of his marvelous teaching and all of those incredible miracles, they rejected him. They opposed him. They accused him of being in league with Satan himself. Um, Can I say this? Just to take a little aside here. If you find yourself here this morning violently and vehemently opposed to Jesus and His gospel, could I ask you to do something? Could, could I ask you why? Could, could I ask you to just put your animosity aside for just a moment and consider the possibility that Jesus might just be the Son of God? <laughs> that his words and works actually turned the world upside down for the better? I know what you've heard, but consider the historical record. Is it possible that he really did come to deal with the brokenness of humanity that you have not only experienced but you yourself possess? And and you know it in your heart of hearts. Is it possible that the Son of God actually did come to die on a cross, taking your sins in His body so that you could be forgiven and and, and saved? Ask yourself this question. Why are you so angry? Why are you so opposed to this story? Is it possible that it's because it's true? And I want to say this gently. Is it possible it's because Jesus infringes on the way that you want to live your life in your brokenness? And He wants to deliver you from that. Well, last week, um, or this week, let's, let, let's turn our attention to the outside of that sandwich, if you will, to the story that Mark's started and, and, and then finishes today. And, and I want to encourage m- many of you today, uh, those, those of you who have found yourself opposed because of your faith. I suggest that would probably be most of us in one way or another. And but, but but maybe there are some of you here who have found that that opposition is deeply painful. It hurts. Because it has come from your own family members. It's come from your parents. It's come from your siblings it's come from your children what, what then do you do how can I encourage you let's read the text Mark chapter 3 verses we'll look at verses 20 and, and, and 21 and then we'll drop down to pick up the second part of the story in verses 31 and following look at it with me it says and he came that is Jesus came home and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal and when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. Verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived. And, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother. And my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Only two very simple points in our outline this morning, two points that I think will serve to encourage us in two very significant ways. First, we're going to see the opposition of Jesus' family in those first couple of verses. And then we're going to see the true identity of Jesus' family. And the first way that I want to encourage you this morning is this. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you, if you face this kind of opposition, you are not alone. Our very Savior faced the same opposition that you faced. Uh, look at that first point. Jesus came. Home. The only home mentioned in in Mark's gospel is is Peter and Andrew's home up in Capernaum. And and, and the crowd uh, gathered, filling the house to such a degree that they could not even sit down and and have a a meal. The demands of ministry were so great, interrupting even the basic necessities of life. Ministry has a way of doing that. Now, now, now remember, Jesus had just named the the 12 in the preceding verses so, so that they who could not... Uh, were likely Jesus and, and the twelve. The crowds were coming, remember, to be healed by Jesus. Word had, had spread. He could heal. He could, he could drive out demons. Remember, his popularity was growing, the crowd in the house, but so was the opposition, and it was coming from places that you would never expect. Verse 21 says, when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him. His own people is more literally translated, those of his. And I suggested last week, that's a bit ambiguous, at least at this point. But then Mark identifies his own people in verse 31. They were his immediate family, his his mother. That's Mary, by the way, and his brothers. They lived down in Nazareth. And. They had apparently heard what was going on up in Capernaum. There was a circus. They heard about, in fact, what was going on in all Galilee. Remember, people were coming from all over every point of the compass. Word spread that this Jesus of Nazareth, that's what they called him, right? Jesus of Nazareth was teaching incredible words, words with authority, and he was healing everybody. He was gathering quite the following. And those brothers down in Nazareth, they looked at each other and said, are you kidding me? Our older brother, Jesus? He's lost his mind, and so they make this rather short trip to Capernaum to take custody of him. It's a specific word; that word speaks of forcibly arresting or seizing him. They were about to perform an intervention. Several things we need to note here. First, we 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 we, we see here that Jesus is not mentioned anywhere in this. Or excuse me, that Joseph is not mentioned anywhere in the story. Uh, the, the last time we saw him was in, in Luke's story about when Jesus was 12 years old. Well, he's about 30 uh, uh, now, so it's possible, even likely, that Joseph is dead by now. So, so later, when Jesus looks around and says, Behold, my mother and my, and my brother and my sister, he doesn't say, and my father, and it could be because Joseph is dead, but more likely, in this family relationship that we're going to talk about in a moment, there's only one father. A second thing to notice is that he does mention... Uh, Mark mentions Jesus' brothers. Who are they? Well, the church came to to teach a doctrine called the perpetual virginity of Mary. That is, uh, not only was she a virgin when Jesus was born, but she remained a virgin her entire life. You ever heard that before, right? Uh, and and the, the teaching is actually nowhere found in Scripture, and I would suggest that Joseph, for one, is, is glad. Uh, in, in fact, n- n- Jesus' brothers and sisters are, are named elsewhere. Now, it is possible that they were children of Joseph um, from a previous marriage and not children of Mary. One early scholar um, suggested that. Jerome suggested that they weren't actually siblings, that, that, that they were cousins. Cousins. But the, but the stories, as you read through them, especially in Matthew chapter 12, seem to point to these being brothers and sisters of Jesus. The sons and daughters of Joseph and Mary. And by the way, in, in Mark chapter 6, we see that the brothers' names were James and Joseph and, and, and Judas and, and Simon. They were also sisters. They're not named, but there were also sisters there. Here, we see that these brothers, at least, came to get Jesus because they thought he had lost his mind. He lost his senses. You're taking this Christ thing a bit too far. In fact, in John chapter 7, we find there that it makes it, John makes it clear that his brothers did not believe in Jesus yet. In that particular passage, they, they actually mocked Jesus. They, they said, Hey, if you really are the Christ, if you really are who you say you are, why don't you go down to Jerusalem and show yourself to the world? They didn't believe in Jesus, which is another important point to notice. They they'd grown up with him. And they, they had lived in the same house with him, and they didn't believe in him. King, Can you stop just for a moment and imagine what that was like? If, in fact, they were children of Joseph and and Mary, as I think they were, then they were all younger siblings of Jesus. Now, most of us have had siblings who thought, especially older siblings, who thought that they were always right, who thought that they were perfect. Can you imagine having an older brother who, in fact, was always right? (laughs) Who never did anything wrong who never lied to mom or dad, who always obeyed him. And you see Mary kind of marching into the bedroom saying, who made this mess? And Jesus says, James did. <laughs> and it wasn't Jesus. If light exposes darkness, I can imagine no other place that happened more starkly than in Joseph and Mary's home. So they didn't believe. The very brothers and sisters of of Jesus didn't believe. And so it should come as no surprise to us when others who should believe in our very families don't. I would also have you notice something else here. Growing up in the family of Jesus did, did not make you okay. What do I mean? There's no such thing as a proxy membership in the family of God. Just because Jesus was their brother did not give them some kind of pass. Which means just because your family is Christian, your parents are Christians, you grew up in church doing, you know, Christian things, and you got confirmed, you got baptized, you attended Sunday school, you joined the church, you occasionally even tipped God by giving a little as a plate was passed, and you grew up in a supposed Christian nation, does not make you a Christian. No such thing as proxy membership you must personally declare your allegiance to Jesus. Just as there is not guilt by association, so also there is not salvation by association. You must decide for yourself. Well, they go, these brothers, they they go to rescue Jesus from, well, I guess himself, but actually more likely because he's bringing embarrassment to the family name. And so when they arrive, they, they have to stand outside. Remember, the crowd is so great, they, they can't even get into the house. They, they send word to him, they, they, they call for him, come out and, and see us. And they're going to seize, physically seize him. And the crowd sitting around looks at Jesus, behold, or, or look, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Your mother and brothers are outside. Don't miss that Mark is drawing a contrast between those outsiders and and insiders. And those that you would expect to be on the inside weren't. His family, the religious leaders, they're not on the inside, and those that you expect to be on the outside weren't. Those fishermen and those tax collectors and those pagans and those run-of-the-mill sinners, they were the ones on the inside sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus came in. Gee, I came to this planet and he switched the price tags of life. Those things that we highly value, he says, no value. The encouragement to us is this. Even Jesus' own family opposed him. So if yours does, if they think you're crazy because of your commitment to Christ, you're in good company. You're not alone. Brings us to our our second point, verses 33 to 35, where Jesus identifies his true family. Now, now at first glance, this is going to appear a little rude, you know, maybe even a little bit mean. I mean, this would have shocked his hearers. The the family, you see, at this particular time was held in highest regard in the Greco-Roman world, especially parents. So, for Jesus to say these things would have been a bit surprising, again, maybe even shocking. But I want you to understand that he is teaching us a truth, an encouraging truth. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? <laughs> you, don't, you don't know? That's kind of an interesting question, Jesus. Are there the ones on the outside, you know, from Nazareth, where you're from, asking to see you? And Jesus looks around for emphasis. He looks around. And he says, behold, my mother and my brothers. Who is he talking about? He's talking about his followers. In fact, he identifies them as those who do the will of God. That one is my brother. That one is my sister. His sister hasn't been mentioned at this point, but he is highlighting the importance of women in the family of God. The one who does the will of God, that one is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Now, don't get confused by that. Now, what is this to do the will of God? Are there certain things that we do in order to become part of the family? No, that's not what he's, he's saying. That's far in Mark. Jesus has preached one thing. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. That's what Jesus means here. Do the will of God. Listen to me this morning. Do the will of God by repenting of your sin. To repent means to turn from it and believe the very good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Become followers of Jesus. This is the will of God for you. Become followers of Jesus. And by doing so, you become part of a spiritual family. Here is the truth from this point that I want to encourage you with. Even if your biological family thinks you're crazy... If they reject you, oppose you, if you even lose them, you gain a spiritual family that is far greater and far bigger and for far longer for all of eternity. There's much that I could say about this. We remember in other places that Jesus said things like this. If you are not willing to hate your father and mother for my sake, you're not worthy of me. The point being, following Christ is far more important than biological commitments. Spiritual relationships, you see, are actually thicker than blood. We, We also remember that he said, I've come to divide families. It's what he did in his own family and maybe in yours. Father against son, mother against daughter, brother against sister. A man, a person's enemies will be those of his own household Again, the, the, the point is the same. We must be willing to sacrifice even biological family relationships for a relationship with Christ. But what we gain in the end is infinitely greater. Two significant points of encouragement for you today. If your family rejects you because of your commitment to Christ, you are in good company. Jesus' family rejected him too. And if your family rejects you because of your commitment to Christ, be encouraged. You have gained a far greater eternal spiritual family. Now, now in both of those stories... In this sandwich, if you will, it, it, people who should have accepted Jesus didn't. His own family sh- should have accepted Him. They, they'd grown up with Him. They didn't. His own people, religious leaders, they, they knew the Scripture. They should have accepted Him. The Jews, they didn't. And so Mark here is teaching us that true spiritual relationships don't listen very carefully True spiritual relationships don't come from ancestry or ethnic or national identity. Some of us need to hear that. The relationship that we share with brothers and sisters around the world are are far more important than our national identity, especially in this political season in which we find ourselves. spiritual family. True spiritual family comes through faith in Jesus Christ, through a common allegiance to our Savior. So, as we close this morning, let me encourage you with one final, very important thought. Yes, Jesus said His followers... His followers make up his true family. When we repent and believe, we are adopted into the family of God. With with God as father and and everyone else as as brothers and sisters. But but even if your biological family right now, your biological family is rejecting your faith, it is never too late for them. It is never too late for them to believe and join our spiritual family as well. What do I mean? Why Why do I say that? Well... Mary was there that day. I'm not sure why. She knew she was a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus. She had heard the angel uh, tell her that she would give birth to the Son of the Most High, that is the Son of God, who would sit forever on David's throne. She had heard him uh, say that in th- the power of God would overshadow her and that the Son born to her would be of the Holy Spirit. She knew all of this, uh, pondered it, treasured it in her heart. Remember, she was there the day that he was born. Angelic choir, remember all that? She was there. So so, so what happened? I don't know why she was there that day. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, with Joseph off the scene and and Jesus, her oldest, gone, she had been pressured by her sons to to just go along, to tag along. Or maybe, just maybe, she was thinking, Jesus is taking this Christ thing a bit too far. He's taking this Christianity thing too far. It might cost him his life. They're going to kill him if he keeps this up. Maybe your family has said similar things to do. You're taking this Christianity thing a bit too far. They're going to kill you if you go there. You're going to be ostracized if you don't shut your mouth. But I also know this. Mary was later at the cross with her son. She heard Jesus say to the beloved disciple John, Behold your mother. And she she looked at him as he hung there, and he looked at her, and he said, Behold your son. Even in his death, he was taking care of his mother and introducing her to the spiritual family. Do you see? She was at the cross. I want you to understand that I believe that Mary was a believer in Jesus, her son. Because, contrary to what you may have heard, Mary needed a Savior too. Not only that, those brothers, (laughs) James and Joseph and Jude and and Simon, By, by the time Mark wrote this gospel, at least two of them had become believers in Jesus after his resurrection. Exactly. They would have known that. Jesus cared about them. They had rejected him his entire life, but he appeared personally to James after he was risen from the dead. And and James became a pastor of the church in Jerusalem and and later wrote a a New Testament letter that bears his name. And then Jude became a believer and wrote that New Testament letter that bears his name. What's the encouraging truth? It's never too late for those family members who have rejected your Christ, opposed your Jesus, ridiculed your faith, it's never too late. You keep praying. You keep sharing. You keep trusting their eternal salvation to Jesus. He's the only one who can do anything about it anyway. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this um, uh, truth. Uh, Mark could have just skipped right over it. He could have talked about what a great believer uh, James, what a great pastor James was, and Jude, and, 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 and how James... Uh, Pastor, even the church right there—the very first church in Jerusalem—and Mary, but he didn't. He put the story in as an encouragement to us, who have been opposed for our faith, maybe even from family members. And so, right now, my prayer is for those brothers and sisters here who have been opposed by biological brothers and sisters or parents. Would you encourage them with the truth that you, your son, face the same rejection? And would you re- help us redouble our efforts to see lost family members come to faith in Jesus? In his name we pray, amen. Last time we were, uh, had communion together, the first Sunday of every month, last time I, 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 I suggested that I, I suppose that you could do this at home, right? I mean, you could go and grab a loaf of Wonder Bread and go grab a a, a bottle of Welch's or or maybe even a bottle of wine if if you wanted to, and and you could do communion at your your home. But most of us don't do that. Most of us do it together here. Why? Because communion, in in addition to reminding us of, of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, also reminds us that this thing is bigger than me. It reminds us as we participate together and we eat the bread and drink of the cup together, it reminds us that we belong together, that we are part of a spiritual family. That's why we do it. And so if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, um, it doesn't matter if this is your church or not. Maybe you're visiting. Maybe you're here at that big wedding yesterday. Uh, Maybe you're here, but you know Jesus as your Savior. We invite you to participate with your Spiritual family, brothers and sisters. And, and and maybe you're here today and you say, no, I'm not, I'm not a believer. Here's, here's what I want to say to you. I want to say to you, repent and believe the gospel. Right now where you are, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and he will. Believe that he is who he said he was and he accomplished what he came to do. And then when the, the, the little tray of broken cracker is passed, you can take it and eat with new spiritual family. But if you don't want to do that, that's okay. We're glad you're here. We, we really are glad that you're here to, to hear the claims of Christ. But if you're not a believer, that's okay. Just pass, pass the, tr- the, the trays when they come. I'm going to ask the men uh, who are going to be distributing the elements to go ahead and make their way um, to the front, and as they're coming, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for uh, Christ. We thank you for his finished work. We thank you that what he, he did, he did so that we could be adopted into your family. We actually get to call the God of the universe Father and each other, brothers and sisters. We thank you for what you have done because of Christ. In his name we pray.